Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 53, where we talk to Matt about the transition between swinging and polyamory and uh, monopoly relationships. Join us as we discuss the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our holly lives. All right, so Matt, who are you? Um, I'm just a regular dude, live uh, northern Illinois. I've been married to my nesting partner for coming up on... This will be 19 years come September, and we uh, we've had a, an interesting journey that I'm sure that we'll get into as we as we discuss this. But uh, no, 40 uh, mid 40s, regular blue collar worker that uh, just loves life and loves polyamory. Now <laughs> that's awesome. So Matt, how do you identify? I identify a cisgender male with a poly bent. And that's something that, uh, as we go through our conversation, took a lot of learning from being a mm-hmm. serial monogamist in high school and college to uh, to to forcing myself into a, a, a monogamous marriage and then letting loose from there. But no, I'm definitely of a poly bent. Right. Uh, do you identify as uh, heterosexual? Yes. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's funny. That's a great question because, uh, I am heterosexual, but most of my encounters have been with between my, uh, my wife and another guy. So I'm mm, homo comfortable, I suppose, uh, incidental mm-hmm. contact, that type of stuff. There's, there's been no, uh, no issues with that. As long as everybody's happy, I'm happy, <laughs> but there's no desire on that side of things. So what drew you to polyamory? Um, mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Please elaborate on that. <laughs> I mean, that's a great opening explanation, but. Well, um, as I, as I, kind of mentioned from from young age when I first started dating it was always uh, I was a serial monogamist I would would date a girl and think that I was in love and this is the best thing and then four months down the road I'm like oh there's a nice thing going there we're going to break up and I'm going to go chase after this other nice thing and uh, and it went on and on and on and on like that and I realized that there was there was really no no comfort to be found from that I feel I, I felt like I kept hurting uh, women who I was uh, who I really cared about deeply and it it didn't make me happy. So mm-hmm. one day uh, my wife and I met, uh, and that's a fun story of its own, but everybody's got their own introduction stories. And I, I fell head over heels. And at the time I was 27 years old and had been past my quote unquote party days. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, this, I have to settle down. That's what life, that's what the, the script right. for grown life tells do me. That and I'm a grown up now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Of course it took me till 27. She was only 20 when I decided that she had to settle down. Um, so, uh, it, 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 and it was wonderful. It was, she was honestly 
the first girl that I dated for more than six months and I asked her to marry me after six months. So it was like I was I was forcing myself into that commitment and I was going to do this. This is going to be great. And then from there, we were married for a couple of years, had our first child. And my and this is shoot mid 90s um, Internet porn is all of a sudden you get connections that you can actually watch porn on. Um, and <laughs> that was I, an exciting time. <laughs> absolutely, right? <laughs> it, it went from pictures and words to, wow, you can actually watch a movie. So uh, something triggered me onto um, like wife sharing. And actually it was, it was, uh, cuckolding stuff, but I've never identified as a cuck. So I, 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 when we were, you, you we can were, enjoy the porn without it wanting to do the thing yourself. Exactly. The, the humiliation from either side, I never really was comfortable with. So that set the seed where I was thinking that I robbed my wife of all of these experiences. I asked her to marry me when she just turned 21. She was a virgin. I most certainly wasn't. So it, it really planted the seed that I wanted to share her sexuality, my, our sexuality. And so that transitioned into to swinging. And one of, the, one of her uh, boy toys, she actually fell in love with. So I'm, I'm a, a, a researcher. All leading up through this whole time, and we crashed and burned a whole lot because she's a very um, straight-laced, conservative background person. And so I had been listening to podcasts such as The Couple Next Door, Mr. and Mrs. Jones are, are wonderful. There's wonderful, great swinging podcasts out there. And I'd been listening to them for a while. But all of a sudden, when the reality of her being in love with somebody who that was, I mean, I, I'm sure that some of your listeners have gone through that is where they, they get into a non-monogamous lifestyle and say, okay, our only rule is you can't fall in love with somebody. Right. As though you can do that by rule. Uh, <laughs> yeah. By fiat, that doesn't, ha that doesn't work. <laughs> so nope. once that happened, I'm like, okay, I've known about polyamory. Let's do some digging. And once, uh, once I found podcasts such as yours, I realized, heck, that's who I am. That's who I've been this entire time. Let's try to make this work. So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's the background on that one. Very cool. All right, Matt. So can you tell us what polyamory means to you? Freedom. I mean, in, in a simple, um, a simple word, as I, as I was saying, I mean, I felt I, I felt um, compressed when I was doing these one at a time relationships that. It, it's it's hard to explain, and I'm sure that, that that everybody has gone through that same type of of feeling, where you're like an animal in a cage. Um, Esther Perel's got a great book, Mating Captivity, and that is how I felt all the time was that I was a captive. Mm -hmm. Where once you realize that you can allow yourself the openness and have people either accept that or not. Um, it's, it, it's, it's very freeing. It's very. So is that, um, a specific sort of what is 
polyamory mean or is that sort of a broader how ethical non-monogamy has been for you? Um, it's then that's a great question, because at first um, the ethical non-monogamy was what I thought it was. But once KK fell for one of her boyfriends, I opened myself up to the idea of falling for uh, one of my friends with benefits at that time. And it was awesome. It was just really cool to to open myself up to those type of experiences that I had closed off for so long. And I really haven't, you know, there's been, and we may get into it at this point or at some point in, in the conversation, but uh, there's been very few times that I've looked in the rearview mirror and thought that, no, this is not the path for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, one of my points of access to, uh, really choosing polyamory was also through sort of initially thinking of it as I want friends with benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that is sort of a way that um, kind of begins to frame the question of like, you know, some of my friends are really attractive and it's really nice to be able to expand the relationship beyond what is sort of our socially normal definition of friends and you're like actually I could act on some of these desires as I already know that I adore you as a human being and you know maybe we could make out (laughs) (laughs) absolutely that is and and that is one of the the freedoms that I I feel from the the poly identity is that you can ask (laughs) you can you can explore that relationship to to whatever degree it comes up with. And if they say, no, that's not right, then great. Yeah. Accepting people is who they are. I used to always joke that men should feel lucky if they get uh, put in my friend zone because those are the people that end up being in a relationship with or I end up having sex with the most. So like (laughs) the friend zone is where you start. You know? (laughs) Right. Oh, that is priceless. That is priceless Mm -hmm. because for so long it's like, oh no, I'm friend zoned. But now... I'm thinking friend zone is a great place to be. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. All right. So uh, what do you find difficult about polyamory, if anything? Oh, that That sigh is so often the response. (laughs) And I'm sure that everybody has their own struggles with, with it. But uh, I will say personally, my struggle goes towards the, uh, I, I, I love I love my wife. I love my nesting partner. She's the most amazing woman that uh, that I've met. Doesn't bar me from loving my other partners, um, who are also amazing. But uh, sh- her nature is different from mine, and she is most happy in a monogamous relationship. So we struggled for many years. I started with the uh, the early fantasies or hopings that she would enjoy her sexual identity without me with just her sexual identity for herself. And it caused, uh, it caused a lot of problems early in our relationship to the point where we didn't even look at swinging until mm, maybe. So when we started experimenting, um, she, she took on a lover from that she worked with maybe five years into our marriage, right after the birth of her first son. And she didn't like it. She didn't like it at all. She didn't want to have anything to do with that lifestyle. So, okay, that's fine. 
we went another 10, 12 years with me just wanting it so bad. Both of us had transgressions, <laughs> affairs, so to speak, without talking to each other. We, there was no honesty in that type of uh, relationship. But it wasn't until maybe three years ago that she's like, we, we'd gone to counseling, which uh, for any of the Midwest listeners, uh, LifeWorks Counseling out of uh, Chicago is freaking amazing. They're great with LGBTQ uh, issues. They're, the counselors are all open to alternative relationships. Um, and we had a great session uh, that lasted. We, we probably saw the, the counselor for about a year and went through a lot of uh, work and at the end of it she's like you know what let's let's try this it was it, it, in her mind the last last best hope and she still did not like it she at first she had a blast with some of her partners and it was wonderful i thought everything was going great but after the the dust settled she's she's a monogamous person and we have to to come to terms with that uh, moving forward. So when you talk about struggles, separating from a near 20-year marriage and learning to transition to a friendship, a loving friendship, is, uh, is a struggle in itself. When did you know that you were poly? You've kind of touched on this a little bit, but if a you could little, talk about it a little bit more. A little bit, but it was really a revelation. The more, the more I learned about it, I probably, I probably knew that I was early on, but there was no, there was no lane for that, that I was aware of back in, in the eighties, nineties. I Heck, I remember there was a, and I'm small town, Illinois. uh, And I remember the, the scandal of, of there's one guy that identified as bisexual, but wasn't really out of the closet, but everybody would talk about it. And so that type of stigma was hang, it hung over the air like crazy, just like the, the, Mm -hmm. the, uh, cow farts did around here. (laughs) So, so it wasn't, it it, it wasn't something that it was, was even thought of, talked about, uh, shown. So it's possible that if I would have known that this was an option, earlier I would have known that I was poly earlier Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I had gotten into a consensual non-monogamous relationship and transitioned and saw because it's funny all the while like I said that was our rule you can't fall in love with anybody you can date whoever you want to you can't fall in love with anybody so even even then even as consensual ethical non-monogamists polyamory was still off the table but you can't you can't control those emotions so once it was on the table and i started accepting it then i knew then i knew when if ever did you feel different from other people that's an interesting question that's a great question because i don't feel different than other people i really i i really don't i feel like this is this is normal I feel better around other people than I did before really embracing the the identity because of my wife's background and upbringing. 
I, we're we're obviously still closeted about what's what's going on. Our our Facebook profile still says it's complicated, so <laughs> <laughs> um, so we don't really discuss it with our close friends. Um, but I just feel that freedom now. This uh, my my one partner who we have we have just started uh, dating is is very open about her her polyamorous. Uh, lifestyle and it is amazing dealing with her and being able to talk about these feelings that we have towards each other towards other people uh, she has zero hesitation about telling me uh, her her feelings or her sexual encounters with other lovers it's uh it it it, it really is one of the coolest feelings that i've had in my life so I can really get that. Like one of my favorite things is, you know, hearing, um, I have one partner who's really very open about that kind of thing also. And just, you know, hearing her talk about how, um, you know, excited she was to get to go on a date with one of her other partners and, you know, how happy, you know, like she'd, like just the feeling of reconnection with them. It's like, oh, yay. You know, like, it's just, it's, I mean, compersion is real, and it really compersion is, is really real. Um, it's a wonderful feeling when you are in that zone. Yeah, especially when you've been in lots of relationships where that it was the exact opposite. Where if you even you know talked about a friend in a certain manner, they would immediately get jealous and start being you know total. Should I be it. worried about that person? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. It almost oh. feels like suspicious when you first get into a relationship where some with someone who feels compersion because you are so used to and you know you expect like this jealousy that when they're like "Ooh, tell me more you're like why do you want to know more you know like what what are you <laughs> you're gonna be i want to be happy for you right what? but it feels almost <laughs> like yeah you're like paranoid you're like well are you going to use this against me like are you going to resent me or something like it's you have to unlearn so much from toxic monogamy you know absolutely and it's funny that you mentioned something like that because i feel like i'm coming across as as a fraud to to my new partner uh julie because it's like i am so into what makes her happy that i it, it's almost like she's going to think that I'm faking something like, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm like, Oh, you're awesome. Really one of the things that's, that is challenging and also amazing about mm -hmm. uh, polyamory, which is you really have to believe people when they tell you about their feelings oh, and right. you yes. know, you have to be able to be truthful about your own feelings and like, let people be where they are. And trust that you know when they tell you they love you and they're thrilled to be with you that it is still just as true when they say oh I had this amazing date with my other partner yeah absolutely and it's uh, along those same lines part of my journey was as growing up for no reason whatsoever I was a habitual liar so that tra transitioned into those relationships mm -hmm. um and made every single one of them toxic because I couldn't be myself. I couldn't show my real self. And it was actually that counseling that uh, uh, Kit Kat and I went through, my wife and I, that made me realize, I'm like, you know what? 
I'm going to tell the truth no matter who gets hurt because it's better than hiding it and dealing with the, the fallout later. <laughs> so that Absolutely. with yourself is the biggest thing. And then the trust that what your partner is telling you is real is huge. Mm-hmm. I love this question. <laughs> um, so Matt, where are you? And I'm wincing. Your... <laughs> In your poly journey. <laughs> I mean, it sounds a little bit hokey, but it's really, I feel like, you know, you've told us a little bit about how things got started for you and some of the things that have been challenging and eye-opening, you know, where's where's life now in your poly journey? As a snapshot, as a, it, it, because the way that I look at it is it, it's a journey. I mean, there's there's no better way of explaining it is is that every every moment in life is a transition from one step to the next. And I've kind of mentioned how I'm transitioning a uh, a long term marriage into a more of a, a a friendship partnership in order to raise our kids, in order to love each other in a way that we can love each other. I currently have, it's funny, I hear uh, folks talk about long distance relationships and I never, I'm like, I could never do that. However, I reached out to one of my exes who was probably my first love. Of course, didn't date her for more than six months, but asked her to marry me. You really wanted to get married when you were a young guy. No, this was young. This was this was really young, young and stupid. But uh, <laughs> I I re- recently reached out to her. She lives in Ireland now, and wow. we have now a wonderful, loving relationship. We've rehashed a lot of the stuff that uh, that I'd been carrying with me for close to 30 years that I didn't realize that I was carrying. I didn't realize that she was carrying as well. So we've got a wonderful relationship via, via text and and voice. Um, I also have uh, uh, a, a one partner who really had, she had just separated from her husband and thought that I would be a good plaything. I don't know if that's <laughs> a rebound. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a, a, a transitional a, relationship. Hit it. Quit it. <laughs> um, which, which I have no problem with that. Um, but that's the one that I actually opened up my heart to once I found out that KK had, uh, fallen in love and we have a wonderful relationship. Now we've been dating for probably, close to two years and it's been on and off um, because of me trying to focus in on the the my my marriage relationship but uh, she was strictly monogamous had she had never heard the term polyamory before we met and uh, it's it, it's been very interesting going through that dynamic over the years uh, opening does her she eyes still, up to it. Does she still identify as um, monogamous? Yes. Reluctantly, I think. <laughs> but you would have to ask her on those. Um, we, uh, we, had a, we had a wonderful uh, night out for the first time and probably since 
lockdown. Nah, I think we did see. So it's been three months, four months, whatever, since we had seen each other. And uh, in the the interim, she has gotten a new boyfriend and uh, just loves, uh, thinks that he's a great guy. But you can tell that there's a hesitation that she wants more involvement and he's not into into it. So I'm like, hey, that's fine. But uh, just the dynamic there is really, really interesting and really fun. She's a wonderful person. And then my other partner, Julie, is... uh, we actually just met. She's amazing. She uh, she is confident like nobody that I've known, and really, really loves herself and uh, does this for her own happiness. And we uh, it's too early. We keep we keep joking that uh, we we've got to wait eight months before we make any. Uh, <laughs> um, decisions because that new the the NRE is strong between us <laughs> right now. So uh, totally uh, get it, and it's oh. so fun. But you do have to remember, like, no major life decisions while <laughs> high on NRE. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Don't pack any bags that are bigger than an overnight, and don't sign <laughs> any paperwork for at least a little while. <laughs> Precisely. Six maybe months to can, a year. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you can check in with me next year and we'll see how things are going. <laughs> we might need an update. Uh, so along those lines of your poly journey, where do you hope to go or do you have any poly goals? I don't. I don't. I'm not a destination kind of guy. And that's why I love the fact that you, we talk about it as a journey. I have earlier in life, the destination was um, fall in love, get married, have kids, grow old, care for each other. End right. up in White picket home. fence. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. And then die. <laughs> and then die. Yeah, That's the escalator to. to death. The, the, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it was multi-amory uh, podcast that, that talks about – or the, the one thing that they had said was there is no relationship that ends happy. None. You either break up – or you, somebody dies, and none of those are happy. So you have to look at it as there is no destination. You just have to enjoy the the walk. So where I where I hope to end up, I don't know. Happy, <laughs> as long as I'm happy on the journey. That's where I hope to end up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. This is sort of out of left field, but it somehow now is the moment when it that occurs to me as. Are you out to your kids? You had mentioned that you have kids. Good question. Are they happy for question. you? Do they? Mm-hmm. When... Well, in answer to that, I'm very concerned about how loudly I'm talking. Ah, <laughs> gotcha. Um, in a moment of peak, I did tell our oldest, who's 15, that mom and dad were dating other people. And we were we were happy with each other, and this this goes back um, before the decision was made to transition our relationship. Um, so in my mind, at that point, it was it was a, a a happy occasion to tell him, but I wanted to let him know he's fifteen. He's going to he sees he sees they're observant. Yes, he sees mom and dad have lots of new friends. Mm-hmm. that uh, stop by and sometimes mom goes down to the basement with mm-hmm. one of her right. friends. Right. And dad. Yep. So yep. I wanted to, I wanted to make it known to him, but he, 
his personality doesn't allow for him to really process that. So I think that he's, he's blocked that part of it out. Um, our other two kids are a little too young at this point to come out, but uh, it, it's definitely something that has to be considered in the future. I don't like the idea of hiding it from, from the kids. I think that the more options that are open to them, the better. But uh, uh, my wife, coming from such a conservative Christian background, wants that stuff hidden away. Mm -hmm. So, so I, we, um, we yeah. figure that out. It's a, it's a very challenging thing. I mean, you know, it depends so much on the kid and the circumstances and, you know, how your poly life looks. Um, you know, there's no clear cut answer. I don't think I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old and I'm out to both of them. The 14 year old doesn't want to talk about it at all. Um, but like they, <laughs> the, the 12 year old, actually, she knows one of my partners well and, and his wife, and we've all spent a lot of time together, uh, oldest also, but you know, my my younger child is just more social and so more open to hanging out with Certainly. people. <laughs> but I felt like, you know, she, they all knew that this was a married couple. And I felt like there's too good of a chance they're going to pick up on the energy between me and my partner and wonder what's going on wonder if there's something unethical going on, yep. um, right. you know, feel awkward about it. My partner's wife uh, works in the school where my kids were attending. And so, you know, I really didn't want them to feel uncomfortable around her. Yeah, or absolutely. Like there was some that, secret, and that's, you yeah, know, that's that one of those dynamics that you can't plan for. You have to hit it head on. Exactly. Um, so we had all agreed, like, yes, I was going to tell the kids and, um, you know, the chances of them wanting to talk about this in middle school were pretty low, <laughs> but, um, you know, so that didn't feel like a high risk for my partner, you know, in terms of her workplace, but it wasn't a non-existent risk. So, it, you know, it was definitely something we all kind of had to talk about together uh, but we all definitely fell on the side of under these circumstances, it's, you know, the kids need to know and it's just more comfortable and fair and right for everybody. Um, Absolutely. And that's why I feel like the kids have to know is because if everybody is going to be, it, it's the ethics thing. It's, it's the ethical part of ethical non-monogamy if we're going to be ethical with our other partners we got to be ethical with our kids too so mm -hmm. when when the time is right i'm sure that 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 has to come up sooner rather than later yeah well and i love that you know if we are able to have those kinds of honest conversations with our kids it really lets them imagine their own futures in a much more open-ended way like my 12 year old is like I think I'm, you know, maybe bi, maybe pan. I don't know. I know I'm definitely not straight. At 12 years old. Yeah. At all, oh, yeah. that's wonderful. I mean, and she's got the language to 
talk about it. And she and yes. her friends, you know, talk about it. She's like, but I am not Polly. I could not handle that long. <laughs> like, okay, you don't have to be Polly. You can, you know, be but monogamous if you want to. That's so totally cute. fine. <laughs> that is I always wonder if, if it's more likely that a, a kid growing up in a Polly household would be monogamous because they, I don't know, maybe they see all the drama and the stress or whatever all and how complicated things with. can be. Yeah. And they're like, I don't want that, you know? <laughs> well, know. she thinks that I should have a nesting partner. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's the part of it that she's like, I don't know, mom, I think it'd be better for you to have like another person, you know, I'm like, really? Cause I feel like I'm very happy in our house with just <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. But somebody else to, to be able to hold up the other end of the ceiling fan while you're trying to mount it is always welcome. <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I feel like about a, at least half of my polycule would be up for that. So <laughs> you just have to come over. Yeah. Yep. Once it's safe for, you know, all these people to be indoors in my house. Oh my goodness. Right. So why do you think you're a poly? I have no clue. <laughs> you, may, <laughs> you may as well ask um, somebody who, and I mean, think about it. 30, 40, 50 years ago, they used to use electroshock therapy and re, uh, reprogramming therapy on folks that identified as queer or, or gay. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea why. None. And I have zero. No idea. I was, I was raised in a Catholic family. Uh, parents are still together after gazillion years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was nothing, nothing to indicate. Well, they did have one couple uh, that they they were friends with that had uh, <laughs> that uh, had the the white leather. And this, I was I was a kid in the early seventies, so they had the white leather shoes, and the big collars, <laughs> and the tight print. Uh, <laughs> so who knows? Friends. Yeah, who knows <laughs> what what was going on there? They used to send us to the basement to to go play, and who knows what they were doing? But I I doubt it. It was everything. If that was the case, it was always hidden. Everything has been normal, uh, situation normal with mm-hmm. uh, my upbringing. I have no idea where this could have come from. Besides, um, <laughs> I'm a very loving person. I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, that are just, they can be cold and aloof, still be great people, but they just don't get attached. Whereas no matter what I did in life as job, whether it was working for a hardware store, take, helping customers, or I was a paramedic for 15 years, helping sick yeah. people, people, I care about everybody that I come across. So whatever, wherever those two girls glided is what caused me to be who I am, but I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> so your um, story with the white shoes reminded me of um, when I came out to my dad um, after coming out to my kids, I also felt like, all right, they need to know that it's also not a s- total secret in our lives. So, all right, grandma and grandpa, here we go. <laughs> um, and when I told my dad, he immediately was like, oh, well, you know, I have always had this huge crush on my friend so-and-so, but I don't think your mother would ever let me do this. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's the thing is, is that there's so many people out there that would do this if they felt like it was socially acceptable. They could, they, they desire it. I, I lying in bed with, with my, uh, one partner, uh, the, the monogamous one that never heard of polyamory. We had a wonderful talk about how if this was a hidden thing and I didn't tell her that I was that my wife knew that I was there at the hotel with her that would be normal that would be acceptable mm-hmm. to uh it it, it may be, not be talked about or whisper it, it may be just talked about right. whispers, there might be people like but nobody right, right no nobody would lose their job over it nobody would lose their their shit over it pardon <laughs> the language right. Right. There might be a few judgmental people who would have opinions about it and feel righteous about it, but But they wouldn't try to take your kids away. Right. Exactly. But the fact that everybody involved was okay with it was somehow wrong. And that strikes (laughs) me as way wrong. Yeah, that's it's absurd when you think about it that way. It's absolutely absurd. Yep. So that brings us to our last question, which is, why did you agree to be interviewed today? Because you're cute. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good answer. I've never had that as an answer before. (laughs) No, I don't know if we we discussed this uh, uh, on tape or recording or digital, whatever. But uh, the only reason that I'm here is that uh, Lindsay and I are close enough that somehow or another, OkCupid's... (laughs) matching system put us on the same page and i'm like oh she's cute and her her profile said with no in no uncertain terms that she was polyamorous and i'm like that is wonderful and i hear so many i I spend on groups different groups that i'm with everybody's asking where can you meet people blah 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 blah. i've had the most luck with okay cupid because you can be that open and uh it was just a connection with with Lindsay that uh, i i'm like oh i listen to a bunch of poly podcasts and there's one out of milwaukee <laughs> yep. and I was like, um, is it this one? Because that's mine. <laughs> that's yeah. so and, great. What a funny. Yeah. No, it was like, so fortuitous. And I, I yeah. used to, uh, I love it when the world lines up like that. Amen. That is the, when the best things uh, happen in my life, it's because of random happenstance. So. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm not saying Lindsay is the best thing that's happened in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that I mean, was like pretty fantastic, one week ago. Yeah. Oh, we need a new episode. Uh, you yes. Yeah. Big? I literally was like, uh, well, since you're a fan, uh, would you like to be interviewed? How do you feel about this? We need um, a guest. All right, so, I mean, it, that was a really cute answer, but I imagine that there actually is also more to it. It was not just the opportunity to get to continue talking to Lindsay. Part of it is because I do have uh, a podcast background. I did a gaming podcast for a long time that uh, I missed the opportunity to to wax poetic on any subject. <laughs> I'm really, really passionate about the way that I'm living my life right now. So that was that was probably the biggest thing. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for saying yes to Lindsay's invitation to be on the podcast. Um, it's really been a fun conversation. Well, we'll take a break real quick and uh, we'll be right back. 
Polyamory Uncensored is excited to announce a brand new product. We have designed a planner and journal specifically geared for polyamorous individuals. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know that I love recommending journaling to our guests and audience members. After about the 50th time or so I caught myself suggesting it, I thought to myself, there should be a journal specifically designed for us polyamorous folks. One that includes a planner, because of course we be planning, and one that prompts us to go deep into our poly lives. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the just plain complicated truths. <laughs> and I wanted to put together a space where you could go if you needed to vent out all of those really hard poly drama feelings. So I designed the Polyamory Uncensored Planner and Journal. This little book includes a full year planner for the year 2021, as well as self-discovery pages, guided journal with polyamory themed prompts and resource guide pages so that you can keep track of the books and podcasts and websites that you find helpful in your poly journey. Get yours today for yourself or the thoughtful polyamorist in your life at tinyurl.com slash poly2021. That's tinyurl.com slash poly2021. In doing so, you support me and this podcast. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. All right. So uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today, our topic is we're going to talk about swinging a little bit, swinging and polyamory, and then also how swinging can sometimes transition into polyamory and sometimes not how you expect, I guess. <laughs> so uh, so one of the first things I wanted to talk about is just how did you find your way into the swinging community and, and how did you how did you broach that subject with your partner? That's a, we, we talked about it a little bit in the introduction. Yeah, but it was broaching that topic was was really, really difficult. Um, like I said, she was it, it, she was so conservative when uh when when we met when we got married that it, it was like i had these thoughts i had these feelings but how do you bring that up with somebody who not only has not thought of these things but has given every signal that they're not open to them so i i really was pretty direct at some point saying you know what i want you to fuck other guys that was, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's really no other way to say it. And it was because I felt that, that there's so much that life has to offer that I can't, I can't provide everything. And I wanted her to realize that. And it didn't, <laughs> it, it kind of went over like a lead balloon. But uh, it, after some time and, and some thought of it, she opened up to the idea, unfortunately, because I think that she's a people pleaser, she thought that it would please me, where my intention was for it to please her, her intention was for it to please me, and so lots of wires got crossed in in that uh, initial attempt, and and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. So it was something that was kind of tucked in the back pocket for a decade, basically, before it 
kind of resurfaced as an option after both of us did the same thing behind each other's backs in in, in different circumstances. So uh, that's that's what led to the whole idea of you know what if we're going to if this is going to happen let's at least do it with each other's consent. Right. Yeah. One thing that when you were talking about um, how you kind of found out about swinging through porn, one thing it, it made me wonder is, did you introduce the concept to her by like watching porn together? Was porn an aspect of it? Yes. No, no, no. And it was it was very typical of the, the cleavers, leave it to beaver. <laughs> where porn was not really talked about early in our relationship. It was, it was something that, uh, Hey, internet, uh, internet's finally fast enough that we can watch the movies. I would watch porn, enjoy myself without her knowledge. Mm -hmm. Once she realized Mm -hmm. that's what I was doing, there was an aspect of her being upset at first. So, and, and I think that this is a typical storyline. It's a scripted thing that happens in society where um, some people look at porn as cheating. And right. I, I'm trying to explain, no, I'm looking at this porn and I'm thinking of you. <laughs> I am thinking, I am loving you as being the star in, in, in this uh, uh, story that I'm watching. And once she became comfortable with that, then we did transition into watching porn together. And it was brought up in that context, but it was already past the point of me saying, I want you to have other experiences besides me. Sure. Mm-hmm. I just kind of liked the idea of it. That would be like a unique way of, of bringing swinging up as being like, so this is a and I think kinks, uh, we talk about that mm-hmm. a lot with like mm-hmm. people in, in the kink groups um, that like a good way to bring it up is maybe showing a porn clip and being like, hey, uh, so this is something that's cool. What do you think about it? You know, I know Dan Savage would always say something like joke about something and then see how they react, you know, <laughs> which I don't know if that's great. But also like because because you could really tell, especially if you're there with the person or if you can't. If you're not that brave, maybe sending someone a link and being like, watch this and tell me how you feel about it later. But you can really see someone's either delight or disgust, you know, when it comes to a a certain thing that's happening when they're watching porn. Absolutely. And there was some of that. Like I said, it was already post broaching the topic in the bull in a china shop way that I usually do things. Um, But there was a, a VHS tape that uh, that we would watch that had that had like the opening scene was a group sex scene and she seemed excited about it um there was there was it, it, there was no disgust about it and she would really enjoy it so that's where the the wheels really started turning mm-hmm. so just from like uh like an informational standpoint how do you, how did you get into the swinging communities? Like, was it all online or were there house parties? Did you have friends who were swingers? Like, did you know people? 
That is that is a great question. And I think that it's something that a lot of people wonder about. It's like, how mm-hmm. do you get started? Right. And it's not something that most people are comfortable like, hey neighbor. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's hard. It's hard to get into it. Yeah. Absolutely. And thankfully, the uh the uh, again with the, the online boom not only brought porn, but it brought connections between all of these people. Uh, funny story, when I, I used to be on, the fire, uh, on a fire, local fire department, and I, <laughs> I'm cleaning the locker room because that was my assignment, and I found a magazine. And this is, this is again, pre-high-speed internet. This is AOL chat room days. <laughs> um, found a magazine on top of the lockers where somebody thought that it was going to be out of sight, but that's what my job was, was to clean them. That was all personal ads of swingers and what have you. Ooh. Um, yes. Yes. So that was jerk off material. A for quite a, yeah, <laughs> quite a long time. Um, but uh, so that was probably my first introduction to it. But once, once the internet was, ubiquitous just a simple google search would bring up um uh swing lifestyle which is Mm -hmm. probably one of the first and has at least in the midwest and i know it's all regional where some uh cassidy is big on the east coast uh uh there's other different sites which they're all over the place um are really easy to find so you can set up a profile, and I know you guys had a recent episode about setting up a profile that doesn't suck. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have to re-listen to that because mine pretty much sucks. But uh, <laughs> that's that's where the introduction came from. And it, once we got to the point where, where KK and I got into the point where we're like, okay, we're doing this together. And we we set up our profile and and took the time together to do it we had i had already had a profile on there for 13 years because i had set one up thinking that oh this is the way to go and this is this is going to encourage her to do things big mistake on my part but um that's the that's the only way that i could find to reach out to the community and no there's been no house parties there's been some uh, hotel takeovers. We're in an area where clubs, especially uh, on-premise clubs, are just forbidden by law. So the the, the opportunity for, for parties, which is something that I think is amazing, are just not there. But at least you can connect with others who are part of that community. For sure. And I think that the way I I come at like all of life's obstacles is if it doesn't exist, then make it, you know, so like Mm -hmm. uh, when I came to Milwaukee and there wasn't really a poly group, I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just make a poly group. And then I did. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like because there and there are not um, swingers clubs in Milwaukee and there are definitely there's people on swing lifestyle and Cassidy and such. And I know that they're doing probably bar and hotel takeovers, uh, but there, it didn't seem super accessible and it also didn't seem super poly friendly. It was more, it was specifically swinger. So 
in find in in kind of my research it it really just came to me to be like oh well if if the thing that you want doesn't exist to your knowledge make it you know like have a house party invite your friends you know a lot of really cool sexy people you know so uh <laughs> so i feel like that's always been my approach to things it's like if i wanted to get into swinging all i would have to do is call up 20 friends and yeah. it would happen you know it'd be it'd be all right um so yeah so that's just like so I guess my advice to people is if you're if you're a go-getter and you have a lot of really cool friends, do it yourself. <laughs> you know? I have heard it said invite at twice as many people as you think will fit because a lot of people will panic and absolutely. Not- <laughs> For sure. A lot For of sure. absolute. But I but speaking of like starting swing, swinging as a couple, did you guys swing together? or separately like i guess and and what is the what's the difference that is that is a great question as far as our particular dynamic as i as i said my whole thing was i wanted her to be with other guys she wasn't really interested in me with other women mm-hmm. So we did go to parties together. We tried meeting other couples for that uh, elusive four-way connection. That uh, that the mythical. As as I was gonna say <laughs> that, that four-way connection is is exists far less than unicorns. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. It, it it's unicorn hunting on steroids, really. <laughs> the- the invisible unicorn. <laughs> so much harder. Absolutely. And uh, just from uh, because of her hesitation, there was really nobody that fit her bill that we connected with. So the only sexual encounter that we had together was she was going to meet a guy that she had been chatting with and flirting with separately who brought a friend who she and I ended up being into each other. So that was the only, like the only quote unquote swinging connection that we had together. We'd been to house parties. We are not house parties, uh, hotel takeovers, bar takeovers, but the things never really clicked there. Are those just mostly a good place to meet new people and like have kind of, cause I know that we have poly socials all the time and they're definitely not play parties or anything, but it's a good place to be able to be like, I can say, you know, my husband and boyfriend in the same sentence and nobody's going to be like, what, you know, like it's, <laughs> it just feels comfortable. You can be right. yourself there. And so I, I also kind of wonder if in non-sexual swinger spaces, like a bar takeover where you can't be, swinging from the rafters if that's mostly what it is it's just like a socialized time where you can meet new people and not have to worry about being closeted very very much so however the difference is the the sexometer is dialed up to 10 Mm. even are in a public space these bars what have you there are very few inhibitions that go on to the point where, uh, d- depending on the group that I've been with, uh, we've been kicked out of multiple bars because of nakedness and public d- displays of intense affection. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Intense affection. So, <laughs> um, 
That is yeah. so it's... euphemistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You leave the it sounds so the... much nicer and playful, though. Is it was intense affection? It wasn't, <laughs> right. you know, illegal right. on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's the 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 inhibitions are are very much checked at the door at some of these these swinger gatherings, whereas some of the poly groups and and meetings that I've been with. Um, we sometimes feel like, and, and this is this is no knock on anybody, but I feel like as a collective, we check the sexuality at the door because we so much want to say no. We're about the feelings, not about the sex. And I love finding that balance between that. You know what? I love you. Let's fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, and I do think obviously there's, you know, flirting that happens and things, but it is true. We have, I think, at least in the Milwaukee community, set a very clear expectation in the poly socials that this is not a meat market. This is hanging out, being friendly, getting to know people, hanging out with your friends. And that's great. Like that really is. It's created an environment that I think a much broader spectrum of people feel comfortable and safe absolutely, in. Absolutely, because the the swinging groups parties have the same dynamic, but it seems like everybody gets naked. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a bar takeover, which turns people off. I... Understandably. Yeah. I went to a bar takeover um, here in Milwaukee that was a sort of a swinger bar takeover thing uh, with somebody I was seeing at the time. And the only sexual encounter that either of us had, and really the only conversation that either of us had, was some woman grabbed him by the crotch and then grabbed me and stuck her tongue down my throat. And like, um, hi, what was your name again? Yeah. <laughs> Where's this consent thing that I am so Im <laughs> important? So, you yes. know, like, and again, like, I would like to find something that maybe was a good balance in between those two extremes. I do want to know your name first. I might forget it, but I would like F the opportunity. Medium. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. No, that's and that's the truth. That's that's really in a nutshell the difference that I see between the polyamory community and the the swing community. The trust me, there's in the swing community there's a lot of emotional attachments that develop that they will push aside because it's a swing community and not a poly community. And we like, like my wife and I had the rule, you can't fall in love with anybody. They push that aside. And I see the poly side doing the same thing with the sex. It's, <laughs> yes. it's not all about sex. We got to push that to the side. So it's just this, this spectrum that is so amazing. And I love navigating it from, from point to point. Uh, but in, in, in the grand scheme of things, there are tracks on the spectrum that you end up following. When we, we were talking a little bit about whether you and your wife were able to initially swing together or find partners together and the elusive unicorn on steroids. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I have observed, at least in sort of the 
swinging like podcasts and sort of media is there's definitely a very clear, this is an activity for committed couples to do together, as opposed to a thing where there is room for a person who is like myself, not in a committed, you know, not, not married, not in a long-term life partner relationship where that person is also engaged in this activity with me. And I think that that actually makes the thing that we've just said harder to build because if the chances of four people clicking in the right way to have that magical mystery foursome are low and you also don't allow anybody who isn't arriving in a dyad then how are you going to make all these things work? (laughs) That is amazing. That is amazing the way that you put that. And you make it work by whatever comes along, comes along that everybody's happy with. And obviously, as a couple on a Swinger website with a, a beautiful woman, you get inundated, inundated with single males thinking that that because you're swinging that she's going to have sex with anybody who comes along which is not the case not the case ever period end of sentence so the very few that would would message us what have you that she was interested in we would normally just meet together and if she was if she was okay with it, then it, when I say okay, I mean enthusiastically okay <laughs> with it. Then uh, we'd we'd proceed. Sometimes with me, sometimes without me. There were there were certain partners where we met, and either he was uncomfortable or she was uncomfortable with me being in the um, in the dynamic that uh fine have your fun it's it's all good with me share the details and that's really really what it it came down to for the most part is uh uh, a a way for her to weed out potential partners do you still consider yourself part of the swinging community at all um i'd like to say yes but as a, and there's countless, countless podcasts out there about the struggles of a single male in a, in the swing community. So uh, it was it was difficult for me to to actually ask SLS support to change my our profile to a single male. But uh, I'm I'm currently on there as a single male, and if the right opportunity presents itself then yeah, I'm all about it. But uh, it's mostly in my mind for those parties, those group connections that just aren't going to happen at any point in the, the near future. So, right. so yeah, I, I, I consider myself part of the uh, 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 COVID swinging community. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean? Because that is definitely an important caveat i think um what does swinging look like in a global pandemic non-existent (laughs) there are groups 
that have tried to put things together, but it's like what happened in Sturgis, where you've got so many people showing up with zero care whatsoever. I'm not going to put myself in that type of position, and I'm honestly not going to have sex or any physical contact with somebody else who's going to put themselves in that position. Right. We talked a little bit off mic that the, it, what what the world is going through right now is what we as ethical non-monogamists have dealt with de- where you compare COVID as this thing that anybody can get and STDs. What we've had to deal with as part of our normal interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. except amplified i feel like you know amplified you, yes you know, amplified a lot right yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right because i do feel like you know i i can be super safe going on a social distance hang out with a partner and and do everything right and can still get it at the grocery store or something mm-hmm. you know like something stupid right. like that and uh but then when it comes to like fluid bound uh, relationships or or condom wearing or STI prevention and getting tested, I don't know. I mean, I guess I feel like the accidents still can happen. Absolutely. Condoms can break. You know, people can get things and not know that they have them and be asymptomatic for years or something. But I feel like being having safe sex, safer sex and risk aware sex is relatively easy you know like i feel like i've been doing it there's a whole lot of my entire sexual life with a fairly low risk profile right 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 exactly exactly like everything feels risky everything that i do just feels like there's like impending doom and death you know like and it's like it's not just i have to take an antibiotic for two days which seems like (laughs) nothing it seems like it's absolutely like I, 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 it's thoughtless. Like I'm like, oh, this that would be nothing to me. Whereas and it's not just COVID your death; is... it's your partner's death. It's your partner's partner's, partner's death. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it just goes yeah. so far, and maybe it's a good way for us to realize that that's why safer sex matters. I don't know if I can go as far as to get on board with feeling like it's a good way. Honestly, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a so sad way. You know, um, I as I've said uh, a lot on the show, I identify as solo poly. I don't have a nesting partner. And, you know, early on in all of this, both of my local partners were, you know, in very high caution universes where they felt the need to be very, very protective of their bubbles and keep their risks super low and I was in the same mindset like you know I'm casting no aspersions on this uh decision making process in any way uh but damn it was lonely (laughs) I mean you know I love snuggling with my kids but it's not the same and (laughs) I'm very grateful that um at least at this point, one of my partners, well, she also then got mono, which who gets mono in a global pandemic? That's what oh, I want to know. But goodness. it really does show the like exposure issues in their job, their other partner's jobs that, you know, 
even when you're being careful and responsible, you can still get sick. And thank mm-hmm. goodness Amen. we have mono. And so we continued to be very, very cautious until, um, you know, just a few weeks ago when they got the all clear from their doctor that they were no longer contagious for mono. So, you know, it's been, and it's been absolutely amazing to be able to have you know human contact again to be able to get a hug again to have sex again is great too but i mean really way more basic touch isn't that crazy that we have been missing that for so long yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and i don't know how we're gonna Uh evolve through that i mean in terms of you know, everybody's risk making decisions and, you know, connecting to partners who are not in your home. Um, I, I think we're in this at a minimum through the end of the year and we could be in this for another year. Well, it's, it's the journey for longer than that, or that we figure out things well, it's yeah. the journey. It's journey. Yeah, you're absolutely... This is <laughs> the just shitty have to part of the journey. <laughs> Boy, well, I and actually, the from the top of this mountain is great because <laughs> it is a slog right now and I am regretting the trip. <laughs> well, and I've okay. often thought because um, my, my husband ha- is high risk, right? So, But I have thought if I were, say, solo poly or single or 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 didn't have a husband and child, right? What would be what would be the different decisions? How would I bubble? You know, I'd still be super responsible because I'm a fucking adult and responsible human being and I think, right. take things seriously, right? But also, but like dating would be different. I would probably feel comfortable dating a few, very few select, very safe people. And and it, and it does it does make it reminds me of like the condom conversation of like if I meet someone and I feel like they are making very bad and unsafe decisions with sex, I might not have sex with that person. And if I meet someone and they're going to a karaoke bar, I'm not going to fucking talk to them right now because <laughs> they're not making safe decisions. It's, yeah, you know? it's virtual dating like, only. Right. right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, so, in terms know. of what else that they're doing, you know, not yeah, just, are like, we gonna if they're making these bar, bad decisions, are you going to a karaoke bar on your other dates? You know, still no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're because if you're making bad decisions, you, one just has to assume that you make a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> you know, right. like you just have to assume. So one bad decision um, is indicative of many. Right, right. So yeah, so I, I do think that it, there is a definitely a. A correlation between safe, safer sex practices, risk-aware sex, because all of this is risk-aware, right? Knowing mm-hmm. who you're in contact with and how many people you work with and how many, that's being risk-aware of COVID. And then, you know, like thinking about risk-aware sex, it just makes sense. And and I do think that poly people have 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 more experience with this, right? Right. And because and so we're, like the whole ethical yeah. non-monogamy yeah. spectrum is yes. these are conversations that we have been having and training ourselves to be good at. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So you had to transition from, or you did, you got to transition from swinging to polyamory. And you said that it kind of started because your partner fell in love with someone, Um, Mm -hmm. but she still doesn't identify as poly. And that's really interesting to me because, because she did fall in love with multiple people. 
Right. So how, how does that work? How did that work? <laughs> um, I think that it works mostly on denial from her part. <laughs> the, I mean, that okay, works that's for fair. some people. Yep. Yeah. The, the honest truth is that when we went to uh, the break for ads, advertisements, was we were we were outside talking. And uh, she's like, I don't identify as Polly. I'm like, well, you were in love with E. And you are in love with me as your husband. Well, I was in real love with him. So... There's there's a way, and I think that this is a natural thing as well, that people will compartmentalize their feelings towards other people, certain people, that, okay, this is okay to love my friend, my best friend. I can love them this way. But it doesn't cross that line. Whereas yeah. if you love somebody that you just happen to be having sex with that's not real love because real love is x and x yeah uh, description yeah. so that's where that, that that's really where it, i think that the 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 difference is where is as far as i'm concerned love is love and if i love my my buddy from high school i'm not going to have sex with him but <laughs> I still love him, and that's where it's funny. I brought up the, my uh, my ex that lives in Ireland. Um, I've been having this argument with her, where she's <laughs> not to give too much away, but she's in a a loving marriage with that has lost its physicality over uh, years and years. Um, has a a lover who non-consensual i i think it's awful that she's doing this without without talking about it and she will express love for me yet when i tell her you've got it you're polyamorous <laughs> she's like absolutely not that's effed up <laughs> <laughs> I'm like well okay if you say so <laughs> So that's uh, that, that's where the I The human come brain also is really amazing at rationalizing things being how they are or how you want them to be or you how know you like want them to be. making them exactly. okay somehow. Like people are are phenomenal at that. Yep. Yeah, there's there's a good term for it that it's too late in the night for me to remember, but it's uh Something about biases. Inherent bias, maybe, something or like something that. like that? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And that's what, that is what so much of our, and, and I have it, I have an inherent bias, but I tend to think that mine is more informed than, than somebody who hasn't looked into these issues and hasn't at least accepted those inherent biases. Is there anything else you would like to ask uh, Katie or if there's uh, anything else that we want to add to this conversation about swinging into, into monopoly? Did we really talk? We didn't really talk very much about the monopoly side of it. No, not, not, not that much. 
Not really, and it's funny. I think it's because we've just been the the conversation has just been so fluid and natural. But I do think that there is a natural progression, like like we were talking about that. I think everybody has these type of desires, and it's it's suppressed either easily or really difficultly in someone like me. Um, to the point where you start that that your natural ideal is monogamy and then you think that okay well maybe i can just have sex with other people (laughs) and then all of a sudden that sex leads to i'm falling in love Mm -hmm. and then you end up in uh in the wonderful world that uh the three of us are in well and i guess we didn't talk about like the unethical side of things that you were talking about before where like you guys had affairs and and I think that that's really common, even if it's just an emotional affair and not a physical one. But like, and I don't like to throw around the way the term emotional affair very often, because I think that it can be used monogamy, as a weapon to say, like, yeah, people can yeah. be friends across genders. Exactly. Right. Toxic monogamy has like co-opted that phrase to be something totally different than what I mean. But like a real loving and emotional connection that you are lying about to your partner, I would consider that like an emotional affair that's as opposed to a physical sexual one and i do think that in some aspects for for some people those are more damaging to a relationship those are maybe more um important to someone i don't know so yeah i don't know i I guess if you'd like to speak to that at all and how that played out or or how you guys got through it um because that can be really difficult as opposed to say trying to go through it all ethically and be incredibly honest Things just like can fall through the cracks sometimes, and you can't, you don't feel comfortable speaking your truth. Absolutely, I, th- things happen. Life happens, yeah. and luckily, in in our journey, none of our affairs really had any emotional attachment. I got involved with a actually an underling at work, which was horrible for me as in the in the the morality sense of things to the point where I quit my job because oh, I wow. I didn't want to have that um and and she was she was a little she was much more attached to me than I was attached to her and it was oh. it, it was not yeah it was it was it was toxic in that regards um anything that Kit Kat had gotten into was the same way. It was a, a physical release that once the emotions started getting involved made her upset and uncomfortable. Uh, and it wasn't until years later that we had talked about these and and really came to that ethical side of things that we realized it. But we really didn't have to deal with the the emotional affairs. Now, especially in the the position that we're at, where the stag vixen dynamic was really put out there in public, you deal with a lot of married men who won't tell their wife that they're out here doing that. And it's in weeding that out is difficult 
because I mean, we've had uh, uh, some guys that have told us straight out how bad their marriage is. They've gotten a divorce and what have you. And then after a, a couple meetups with Kit Kat, all of a sudden he'll say, oh yeah, my wife doesn't want me to come. Wait a second. What? So coming across non-ethical people is very common is really the way that uh, to, to sum up what this is going on. But I have not had a lot of experience in my relationship. That's good. I think that's actually a big part of, to circle back to something we talked about earlier, why we have such a stringent social policy on our polysocials. Because when you get to know people over time, you do have a little bit more ability to judge their ethics and for those sort of relationships to develop in a way that either supports trust and the potential of that relationship becoming sexual or the ability to sort of um, sift and winnow and determine that this person does not seem perhaps like they are uh, have the kind of ethics that you hope that they would have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, why it's so hard to break into the community. <laughs> right. <laughs> because yeah. those, those barriers are important. They're so important. But it also it keeps a closed bubble. Going back to the COVID reference. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you want to sometimes Facebook groups can be helpful on that because if you participate in conversations there, you can become sort of a familiar quality and Absolutely. then it's a little bit easier to get to know people in real life if you've gotten to know them virtually in um, that sort of quasi-public kind of comments are right, right, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I use OkCupid a lot as well uh, to to meet new people. But oftentimes, if they're local and they're poly uh, and they're on OkCupid, I'm like, hey, would you like to be a part of our group? Because like, it's really <laughs> nice, especially back when we can meet in person to be like, well, if I'm interested in this person and they're willing to come to a poly social or a poly discussion group, I can get to know them not necessarily on a in a date format, but get to know them in a group setting, which says, I think a lot more than a dinner and a movie, you know, sometimes. So like, it's really nice <laughs> to, to get to know people, right? Like in a, in a friendship gathering as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice tool that I don't know anyone else gets the opportunity to be able to do this, but like, I can be like, Hey, come to my group, join my Facebook page. You know, like... <laughs> well, it goes back to, if you didn't see that it was there, start it yourself. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Is there any advice that you wanted to give to people in your uh, or similar situations to you? Oh, my goodness. The only advice that I can say is be yourself. Be your natural self. Enjoy whatever it is that makes you happy. If you have fallen into a poly lifestyle and you don't like it, get the heck out. There's nothing that need, means that you need to be here. But if it's for you then embrace it. That's the only advice that I can give. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Well, thank well, you so thank much for yeah being here. <laughs> yeah, thanks a ton. This was a really fun, lively conversation. Um, I really appreciate your openness to being interviewed. So thanks a lot, Matt. It was nice to yeah. meet you. 
thank you. Thank you. I really, really have enjoyed this conversation. It's wonderful in the same way that it is to be open and be yourself. It's great to have this kind of discussion with, with wonderful people like you too. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.